All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Debate Night. We've got a great episode today, joined by a bunch of great analysts. Uh, we have Brody with us, as always. Up in Oregon, stay weird, Portland. Yeah, stay weird, Portland. Uh, Hunter is joining us from his uh, new exclusive set. Uh, we're joined as well by Tyler. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting oh, talk. You know, apparently I'm on a very intense delay. <laughs> very intense. Oh, no. Just, just, just learn to we'll, pause. We'll, we'll figure it out these closets, uh, man. But uh, Tyler, you know what? I'm just, I'll just go with headphones off so I can hear Trevor. There you go. Uh, Tyler is with us as well today. Hello. And then uh, last minute edition, Robbie C just just jumped in. Um, so he's going just improv today. Saw the, saw, the, saw the script about eight minutes before we started. So uh, game on, yeah, baby. It's going to be great. We're going to talk a bit of OTB Open, um, both what happened on the course and off the course. Uh, a little bit of Gannon Burke contract update uh, and some other just little fun subjects. So let's get right into it. Uh, th first thing we're going to start with is with the OTB Open, at least. Uh, they played at Swenson Park. This is not the first time this course has appeared on tour. Uh, I think that it was a little bit of a, a shock to some players. I think the last couple of events we played have been kind of all gas, no breaks. Swenson Park really seemed to punish players for poor course management. There were countless examples of players making poor decisions uh, on the course, and it really costing them. So the question here is, do you think pros would benefit from having caddies that do more than carry their bags? This is definitely a topic that has arisen uh, quite a bit, especially with this event going on. Brody, what do you think? The short answer to this is 100%. Um, it, it, it doesn't make any sense not to have someone that is there that knows your game well and knows the course and is able to give you feedback or give you advice or give you small tidbits of like, hey, this tree overhangs the water, so you want to make sure you come in underneath it so it doesn't hit the tree and go in the water. The problem is, is it's it's hard to find those caddies. That's the main issue. It's hard, it, There's not enough money in disc golf right now um, where I think outside of Yuli, I'm pretty sure all the caddies that are like tournament to tournament, you see them with the same player. They're either in a relationship with that person or they're also on tour as well. So it's very hard to find those caddies. And that's, I think, the kind of the crux of it, people are scared to just like have a random person jump on their bag. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Hunter, where do you stand on this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that already kind of on that when it comes to, it's tough to find caddies that know your game, I think is what he was trying to say. I only heard every other word. So me if I'm up there a little, but um, I definitely think this is a course that, could actually be a look at the future of disc golf in a lot of ways. I think that it was a course that very much um, punished bad shots and made you think on each and every shot. There wasn't a lot of shots that you could just go out there, throw willy-nilly and hope for the best. So you really would benefit from having a caddy that truly, truly knew your game, knew the ins and outs, knew you know different things of when to push it, when not to. And even for like Gannon Burr, I think one of the big things was his shot on 18. did have a caddy. I don't want to come after his caddy. But noticing the wind up by the basket different than the wind he was feeling that's the type of stuff that a caddy can be crucial in being like hey don't go that high spike hyzer it's gonna blow you you know the wind's right to left up there you're gonna be ob you need to attack it more direct um i think that's the type of stuff the caddies are crew for i don't know if the game's there yet because you're basically trusting a stranger with your with your game at that point right yeah tricky balance there tired what do you think caddies good thing or bad thing 
Yeah, I think that would always be a positive thing. I think, again, what Brody and Hunter mentioned is the difficulty of finding somebody you trust, finding somebody that, you know, you want by your side for, you know, three or four tournaments in a row. I would think at least having somebody to, to carry the physical load of the bag and help clean the discs and that kind of thing is always a win. Um, I guess if you get a really chatty caddy, that could be, I don't know, a negative thing if you just want to kind of, you know, focus in a little bit. But I guess it depends on the player. Um but I, w- I would love to see love to see something work out to where we can have caddies for these guys that that again they can be trusted and um, one perk I know Brody when you travel you you try to find somebody that's that's local and and maybe knows the course a bit that'd be a huge advantage you know if someone knows the course in and out um, that could be a huge advantage so yeah I've yet to hear an argument you know against caddies I'm sure it's out there but we just we just haven't heard it yet so right yeah yeah like you mentioned um, you know there are some players who aren't even trying to get one to carry the bag. And at the very least, that's a lot of physical stress off your shoulders, quite literally. Uh, Robbie, what do you think about caddies? Yeah, I think probably the biggest drawback to caddies right now is this week-to-week thing we're talking about of players spend so much time practicing without caddies. And I think why caddies can feel like a detriment in the current landscape is that these caddies are showing up the day of the first round. So Brody's about to play his first round and he's meeting this person for the first time. And so there's a little bit of awkwardness and isolation that they can feel of. What if the round doesn't go according to plan that trust that you experience with the caddies? I think that's one of the biggest thing that golf, like because this caddy's traveling with you all the time, or they are like certified to be a pro on that course of knowing the layout and things like that. There's so much extra trust you get naturally from that. And disc golf, we haven't established that by any means. Um, So while I think it's helpful, I think the other hurtful part is, and Brody's mentioned this several times, so I was shocked that this didn't come up there, is like disc golf is currently still simple to a degree. So if you're bringing in these caddies, what's the difference or what's the struggle or balance between throwing a shot confidently and like having your caddy talk you out of a shot uh, that could make it even go worse by players just not having this practice or knowing their games as well. Yeah. I I think that um, a big thing about the caddies is it's not even about a caddy knowing better than the player. It's about a caddy being able to stay more level headed and talk a player back into something that they would normally do (laughs) just trying to get them back on the decision that they know they would actually want to make. Um, But a lot of times, you know, a player can get caught up in things and decision-making can be difficult when you're under pressure. Certainly. Um, all right. So after that round, uh, Brody Hunter and Robbie at two, Tyler has one point and we're going to talk a bit about the biggest news probably from the OTB open. Um, aside from the play that went down, uh, there was quite a, a legal battle unfolding behind the scenes. Well, I say behind the scenes, it was kind of behind the scenes, but it was really being brought up a whole bunch. Um, basically for those of you who have not heard of the whole scenario, um, Natalie Ryan, uh, won a, well, she kind of, she applied for emergency restraining order was granted that by a judge competed in the first round of the OTB open, uh, was one shot back at the lead, I believe. And then there was an appeal filed in a different court, basically claiming that that judge didn't have dis, uh, jurisdiction. That was, uh, the pro tour and the PDJ that filed that that was granted, um, at least to the extent to where Natalie Ryan was then removed from the event. And that was how the things uh, unfolded. There was stuff in between, but those are the important facts. Um, So my question is, after the Natalie Ryan situation unfolded in the OTB Open, and with California law seem to be a big part of the case, because California law uh, has different uh, 
rights on discrimination and such and protected classes. That was the basis of this uh, case. So do you think the Pro Tour will visit California moving forward? Or is this the last we see of the Pro Tour in California for a while? Hunter, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a tough one to answer because right now we're looking just at California. But I had people shortly after Griplocked DMing me. Um, there was a, a case in Minnesota of a powerlifter. Um, the powerlifter won. And we're saying that Minnesota's law might also have grounds, which obviously then brings in events like the preserve. So it's a question of like right now, sure, it, it might only be California. And you could argue the poor could be an event out of California and, you know, not have to worry about this whole legal battle anymore. But then it's something where the preserve can get brought up and then give it another few years and some X, Y, or Z can get brought up. Um, I think personally, the Pro Tour is going to have to fight this all the way through. If they're willing, if that's what they want to do, they're going to have to fight it all the way through and actually win it outright. Because I don't necessarily, I think that moving a pro tour out of California, which has been talked about, that has been something that people have said is a possible resolution. It could be just a temporary resolution where, yes, you met a vendor, it solves it for your legal issues for a year or two, and then another one's filed in Minnesota, and another one's filed wherever else, and you know, you're constantly having to face this. I think they're going to kind of get it more overarching um, situation if possible. Um, if the Pro Tour wants it to be something they don't have to re relive and redo each and every year. Yeah, yeah, it does seem it does seem like it could be a temporary move. Um, Tyler, what do you think? Are we out of California, or what's going to happen? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think you completely avoid just a state that that has these laws because, like, like Hunter mentioned, you know, this is probably just the beginning of this, honestly. And and there are more states where this might be an issue. So, I think the pro tour needs to keep uh, keep moving forward with the decisions they've made. Uh, they put in the work in the off season of deciding, okay, how are we going to handle this in our sport? What guardrails are we going to put in place? Knowing that you know, there's really no right answer for this. Wherever you land on this issue, there are going to be. Uh, more issues you have to face down the road. And so I think they just got to keep moving forward with, with the decision they made and, and um, fight these battles when they come, you know, I think this weekend um, it was a storyline, but I don't, I don't think it took away from, from the product overall completely. It was still a great tournament, great storylines outside of this. And so, um, you know, steering clear of certain areas or certain people because of this issue, I don't think is the answer. And I hope that's not, um, I hope that's not what we see. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Robbie, do you think they're going to put California on the schedule next year? I I think we'll see California. I you can't have like the highlight event and all that. I think the what the the issue with it coming up was the the shortness or the closeness of the trial and the results happening in terms of the like closeness to the event. Knowing, hey, we're going to have this issue in California again next year. Um, I, I would say that truly an issue feels like an aggressive thing to say, but knowing that there's going to be conflict when we get to California, um, having that and trying to get those ducks in a row ironed out significantly earlier. Obviously, this is the first time that the Pro Tour is coming into conflict with this. So we knew California was going to be an issue. Obviously, that's why uh, Natalie and her team targeted California as where they wanted to make that that strike or that um, point forward. So yeah, I don't see that it's moving away. Cause I think that also shows that like, if they move away from California, that's the pro tour saying we are in the wrong and therefore we're going to just avoid that situation. If they think they're in the right and they have the right to do it correctly, then I think they definitely stay there. 
Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a tricky one, and especially with just laws being different state to state. Yeah. Uh, Brody, what do you think? I don't. I don't think if the pro tour ends up deciding not to come back to California, that's a sign of them saying that they're wrong. Um, I think that's a sign of we're not doing business in a state that isn't going to abide by the rules that we want to set. I think it's the pro tour I think has been very clear with where they are on the matter and what they want to do with their policies moving forward. And if they're not able to um, have those policies the way that they want, I don't think they're going to do business in those areas. Now, the thing that the OTB open has going for it and, um, is the fact that it is one of the more premier events, I would say, on the Pro Tour. It's one of those events that every time we go back there, we see improvements that the staff has made to the course, the staff has made for the spectators, the fans out there are some of the best that we see all year. And so it would be an actual, an absolute shame if we don't go back there simply because I, you know, the venue, everything that goes into it, I think is a great spot for the pro tour. But I think the disc golf pro tour has been very clear in the fact of their stance on the matter. And if they aren't able to have that, uh, play out the way that they want. I don't think they're going to do business in those areas. Yeah, it's tricky. And and it's especially like, you know, California, like you mentioned, is kind of a premier stop now for disc golf. It's always been, a, I mean, it's the home of disc golf, essentially, where the first course was. And there's always uh, been a strong love for disc golf in California. It'd be a shame to avoid it. But, it you know, it kind of depends on what Hunter said. You know, if California proves to be the only state to give them problems, then it would almost seem silly not to just go ahead and avoid it. But if there's others and there's going to be, I'm sure there'll be more legal battles down the road. Um, this, this will end a different way than just them just avoiding the state. I would have to imagine, but I'll be curious to see that schedule. Um, so kind of moving on to another part of this topic. Um, obviously the pro tour was put under serious duress, essentially uh, having to deal with this uh, very, very close to the event leaking into the event, something that I don't think, that they wanted it to happen that way, certainly. Um, so my question is, um, do you think the Pro Tour handled the situation correctly? And this is not speaking to their policy in general, but just the way they handled the situation as it unfolded um, over the course of that week and into the weekend. Uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, looking at this as, as unbiased as possible, you know, I, I think I think the pro tour handled it really the best way that they could have, at least from my my perspective. I'm sure when they made their decision in the offseason and put these these rules, these guardrails in place, um, I'm sure they knew that there would be, again, fallout. There would be um, legal things that have to deal with uh, it coming the week of this big tournament. Whether they knew that or not, I don't know, but um, but it was very strategic for Ryan's camp to release this, you know, just a few days before this, this tournament, hoping that, that, you know, Natalie, we get to play and all that. And, um, so I think the pro tour handled it incredibly well by, by filing the appeal. It was completely in Natalie Ryan's right to do what she did. And it was completely in the pro tours right to do what they did in, in response. Um, I don't know how confident they were that the ninth circuit would respond as quickly as they did. Um, but when they did, the pro tour was left with what I think was a pretty easy decision because it's a decision they had already made. They already had decided how they were going to handle uh, the uh, transgender athletes. And so um, at that point, it was a pretty easy decision. Now also seeing the way that uh, the other female athletes responded and, and the, um, the front that they put forward saying, Hey, here's how we feel about this. I don't know. The, I don't know. I certainly didn't expect um, that united of a front from the FBO field, but that spoke uh, loudly and I think that in line with what the pro tour had already decided um, 
the only decision they could make was saying, Hey, Natalie, we're sorry, but we're not going to let you finish. So um, this is an ongoing battle. We'll see how they handle things moving forward. But I think this weekend they handled it um, the best they could have. Yeah, certainly a time crunch that they were having to deal with. Uh, Robbie, how do you think they handled it? Uh, I, I don't, I completely agree with what Tyler said in terms of like, they already made the decision. Uh, we, we make decisions early so we can make choices later. Something my grandma always said to me. And so, uh, I appreciate that wisdom carrying through to today. I think one of the reasons that we really struggle to see the pro tour handling this is because of this marriage of the pro tour and the PDGA still existing. And the fact that the Pro Tour had to step out and make this rule and this policy, and yet the PDGA has an entirely different set of rules that they apply to the transgender situation, that's what makes this even more awkward because that's how Natalie can have this feeling of, I'm being targeted, I'm being focused on because she's the only transgender player in this. Um, and I think there was a lot of discussion in social media around the country, really seeing different disc golf pockets that I'm a part of, of saying like, how are the women supposed to approach this? Uh, and the pro tour was in a bind of if Natalie plays, then, okay, what if the women decide to drop out? Well, how do you handle that? Um, so I think the fact that they tried to make a safe environment so that protests weren't happening and overemphasizing player safety was huge. And I think they tried to accomplish that. Obviously, I wasn't on the grounds. Brody can probably speak more to it. But I do know that Ella even said at one point that she was uh, she felt like some harassment during one of her rounds because there were protests taking place on the course. So not sure how well it was handled um, on that side of things. But once again, I wasn't on the ground to be able to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Brody, you were there. Did you, did you see anything? How do you feel like the pro tour handled it? Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm playing in a different division way later in the day. And so I didn't notice anything on the grounds myself. Um, I guess you would have to look at some of the FPO players on what they're saying on social media, what happened to them, because it just seemed like a, a normal tournament for me. I will say like, Rumors had been, uh, uh, you know, going around about what was going to happen at OTB Open for a while now. Um, this was months ago that we had heard that there might be talks of not even having the event in California. But the way that Natalie Ryan's team and kind of Tyler talked about how they approached the fact that they are like, let's wait until the very end to where the Pro Tour can't basically make any adjustments or anything. Um, that was my first question when I saw the TD is on Monday, I asked, I was like, are we playing the event this week? Is it actually <laughs> happening? And they were saying hundred percent it's happening. It's it, it, Natalie's either going to play in the event or Natalie's not going to play in the event. And that's nothing else is changing. So I think the way the pro tour handled it was the only way they could handle. It. And something that me and Hunter discussed when this was all happening, you know, months and months ago on debate night. And we were kind of discussing of like, where are the FPO players? Like, where where are they at? Because really, ultimately, at the end of the day, if you have uh, the majority of people in the FPO saying like, hey, we don't think this is fair, then I, that is something that the Pro Tour has to look at. And I think that's what happened this week. And I think it's happening more and more. FPO players are getting more comfortable or more okay, I guess, with coming out and saying how they feel on the matter. And so there's no chance that the Pro Tour could have just sat back and done nothing. I mean, it, this is going against what their policy is. They had to try to appeal it and, and get it the, the way that they think is right. Yeah, certainly it's very powerful having that United statement sort of from the, 
from the FPO division. That was a huge development in this entire thing as, as it's been going on. Um, Hunter, oh, thank you. I don't know oh, yeah. if this was mentioned. There was a lot of FPO players that were also in attendance during the court cases that week. Mm. So that's mm. like an additional thing of like, obviously Jeff Spring was there and other Disc Golf Pro Tour staff, I'm sure. But I know that there were FPO players that were there as well to kind of see what was going on. So, I mean, mm. it's just, they're being, it seems like they're being more involved now than in the past. It seemed yeah. like they were just kind of afraid maybe to come out and say what they thought. Right. Yeah. Hunter, what do you, what do you think about the whole thing? How do you think the pro tour handled it? Well, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really hear much of anyone's answer right then. So if I'm repetitive, I apologize, but I'll just give my answer. Um, how, you know, is what it is. Anywho, uh, I think the pro tour did basically exactly what they had to do, especially in the scope of the broader legal battle. Cause you know, a lot of this legal um, battle seems to hinge on this week at the OTB open. And I think had the pro tour not appealed it, it's almost like, I think Robbie had said it maybe with the previous point, but it's almost like they were saying, we don't actually have that strong case. We don't really believe in our case that much. And I think it would have provided more momentum to Natalie Ryan's team. Um, and so in the legal battle, I think the pro tour had to respond in this way. I also think the pro tour must've been expecting something to have happened because they were able to quickly now ninth circuit. Well, maybe they have filthy lawyers that were able to figure this stuff out really quick, but they were able to quickly point out basically like why they were able to go to the appeal with a pretty strong case to win the appeal. Um, so I think they must have already had their case ready previously. They must have been kind of expecting like, hey, this is probably going to happen um, leading up to this event. And I also think that the Pro Tour now also has the backing of majority of FPO players, which I think is a crucial part in this going forward, is knowing we have the backing of our players um, and we're acting in their best interest according to them, which before I feel like that according to them part at least wasn't publicly known. Now it's publicly known that the majority of FPO players have signed this and they, in a lot of top FPO players saying this is how we feel about it they're making their public statement known and I think that's huge for the pro tour I think the pro tour did at the end of the day exactly what they needed to do in the broad scheme of the legal battle yeah I, I would definitely have to give a shout out to um, the pro tour's legal team just in the sense that I think a lot of people felt that it seemed the original you know, request for a temporary restraining order was kind of timed pretty well, you know, making sure that it was at the last hour. And, and, you know, even if the pro tour had to scramble, they were certainly had to be ready to some extent because things were happening really quick. I don't think I've ever seen the legal process executed at a speed that it was this past week. Like things were just moving along. So, uh, yeah, certainly going to be, I mean, some, it'll, this is going to not be the end of this, um, I'm sure the social media, you know, if you've been on there, you've seen all the posts coming from every which way, uh, a lot of not good stuff, but yeah, I'm, I, we're going to be talking about this all year. It'll seem like, and who knows how many years we'll be talking about this. It's definitely just going to be a continuing theme. Um, but as we move out of that subject and into the next, uh, right now, Brody and Hunter stand at six points, uh, Tyler, Robbie at seven. Uh, so this next one this is something we talked about a little bit on grip block, trying to kind of get to the bottom of it or decide what our predictions are. But basically prodigy decided they announced and made a statement. They had dropped their lawsuit against Gannon Burr um, and basically made a pretty supportive message saying, we're going to support him to the end of the year. That was kind of the way they, they phrased it and Gannon phrased it, you know, to the end of the year, but it leaves a lot of questions of like, um, where is Gannon going to end up in 2024? Does this mean that there's a possibility of renegotiation? Uh, is this just kind of like, 
hey, we're going to carry it out, but then it's over after this. Because then the other thing was, you know, Prodigy did mention in their statement um, the word resolution, you know, that they, they reached a resolution. Does that just mean, hey, we're going to move on from here and go our separate ways? Or was there actually some kind of deal that was struck? You know, there's a lot of questions here. So I just want to know what all this information, um, what does this say about where Ganon is going to end up in 2024 and what kind of resolution could that have been? Um, and then also, did Prodigy even make the right call dropping the suit? in the first place. A lot of things to unpack here. Robbie, what do you think? So I definitely think they made the right call. Uh, suing one of your star players uh, is, you know, it's not good. It's not a good look uh, in pretty much any circumstance, especially when he's literally a child. Uh, like that's <laughs> no bueno on so many PR levels. But I think that them dropping it is really complete. Like it shows that, hey, Gannon probably had some offer come to it confirms a lot of suspicions. Gannon probably had an offer come in earlier on. Uh, and we don't think he was genuinely that upset with prodigy, uh, but doing everything he could to get to that new contract. Um, and so I, I'm going to be honest. I really, I think that he stays prodigy in 2024. Um, I think that they're seeing the bright spots of having him there. They're releasing the disc they're doing. Uh, if, if that's bad plastic that they're giving him and that's inconsistent plastic or whatever they want to, whatever he was saying before, and he's still winning in that level, um, man, people should be terrified, right? We are seeing obviously Isaac Robinson. I think that's probably the biggest, question mark in this whole thing is Isaac Robinson's influence on this contract because it was just Gannon heading into this year. Um, and Isaac had some consistent performances, but now we're seeing Isaac really pop off. So I'm more curious what that effect is having on the Gannon discussion. There, it is one of the most interesting parts of the topic is like the effect of the fact that he's winning a lot and prodigy plastic is succeeding right now, Brody, you were shaking your head a little bit. What do you yeah, think? I disagree completely with what Robbie said about it's a bad look again. This, this had to happen at some point. Does it suck if I'm prodigy and I'm, I'm the one that has to like set the precedent of like, Hey, if you sign a contract, uh, just because it's disc golf, you still have to abide by that. Con this is, if you go outside the realm of disc golf and, Robbie, I would love for you to hear, give me an example of where this is an okay thing to do. You can't sign a contract. You, you can't sign a contract with a sponsor. And then all of a sudden just decide midway through like, oh, I, I hear someone else is, is it's greener over here. The grass is greener over here. I'm just going to deuce out and peace out. Like if you're going to do that, stuff is in place to where they, there has to be a buyout there has to be some sort of thing going on to where the person that leaves. And also you mentioned like, Oh, I think, you know, Prodigy's looking at Gannon. They're like, yeah, he's uh, he, I think we're, we want to keep him. He's selling it. Well, yeah, no duh. That's why they sued him for trying to leave. <laughs> like they want to keep him. Like that's, they didn't just come to the realization that having Gannon uh, as a sponsored player is a good thing for their company. It's, it was too often that players were able to just leave their contracts. And this is going to be a moment of where not only can players realize, hey, I can't just leave my contract, but also manufacturers now that sponsor players have to get better at their um, contracts, the, the wording of their contracts. And I think all, all in all, this is going to be better for everyone. Where will Gannon end up? I think ultimately, I don't think Gannon was very upset with Prodigy. I think Gannon had a bunch of people in his ear and i think he's come to the realization of like hey i just love playing disc golf 
and I'm just gonna, you know, go where I can make a lot of money and do that. If that's Prodigy, great. If that's some other company in 2024, that's fine as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, the way that Gannon has kind of gone gone about the season, it doesn't seem like it was really him pushing the "I want to get out of this this Prodigy contract." It seemed like he had other voices telling him that he needed to get out of that. Well, other voices are maybe giant potential paychecks. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Robbie's still right. It was it's still an awful PR move to su- sue your star player, even if I think their hand became very forced whenever Gannon made a post saying he was leaving because if things if he had if things had stayed behind the scenes it wouldn't have had to get public and that's where it got ugly but it would man yeah it was just a bad situation uh all the way around but, uh, but what is probably supposed to do just let let another no, player I, just leave? I don't know no i don't know if they i don't know if they had a choice but it's still bad pr i mean it's, it's still not good pr <laughs> Like you, yeah, that, that just played out very obviously. I mean, people were selling all their prodigy discs. No, no I know. We'll put some I, meat on the table for the other two guys. But yeah, yeah, let's 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 keep it going. We can get back to this if we need to. Hunter, what do you think? Well, my main point was just stolen by the host, so I don't know how I feel about that. Because I was going to say <laughs> comments. Brody and Robbie are both right. It was the right move to Brody's point, but it was bad PR to Robbie's point. Right move is not always the best move. Um, and I think that what they just did, though, was the best move because I think dropping it, it shows everything's in good standings. I also, this resolution thing, it got brought up on Griplock. I think I had it completely different than you, Trevor. How I read the resolution is more so prodigies, just like everyone just came to agreements of like, hey, look, dust is settled. Let's just play the rest of the se- season out. I don't think there was anything else offered. I don't think that there was anything else like, it was so just like, you know, it could even been a simple conversation with prodigies like, hey, we understand, you know, we see where you've listed your grievances. We get where some of those things we're working on them. We're going to try to do our best. And we just ask you to do the same. And if you're willing to stick with us the rest of the year, we'll drop the legal charges. With all that being said, I think let's just let's take a step back from this year. All right. And let's look at what history has told us. Gannon Burr loves prodigy. Gannon Burr got into the sport, first thing he does is he wants to be Will Shoestrick. And by golly, he has been the closest thing, reincarnation of Will Shoestrick that you can find. And the dude had an incredible collection of Prodigy. He lived and breathed Prodigy for like seven years or something now, crazy. This dude is a Prodigy, and he absolutely loves Prodigy. And I think when the end of the year comes around, I think there's a call, uh, offer that comes across his desk that Prodigy isn't able to get within able to do that he's staying with prodigy i i'll be pretty surprised if january falls around and he's not still with prodigy and i think that that is going to be a huge prodigy if they're able to not only drop this lawsuit get some you know momentum back with gannon the rest of the season but then also keep the guy going into next year i think that prodigy's on the up and up it'd be power play of the century if you were able to sue a player drop the lawsuit and keep them and extend them afterwards, it would be, it would definitely be power play of the century. Uh, Tyler, what do you think about all this? Well, I, I think, I think it's likely that that happens. I, I really, I really do. Uh, for me, I, I have no problem with the lawsuit initially, uh, kind of to Brody's point. I think, I think a precedent needed to be set. Um, and you know, as disc golf is growing in popularity, there's, there's more money surrounding it. And so these kind of handshake contracts that used to be in play, um, are not good enough anymore. And so you had a player who is like Hunter said, a prodigy. I hope I hope Hunter got a point for that prodigy prodigy connection because that was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you have a prodigy like Gannon, who is you know any manufacturer would love to have him, um, and he is threatening to leave. Yeah, prodigy needed to to make a statement, say, hey, you're under contract. This this is how this is going to work. 
Um, now that we're here, now that they've dropped the lawsuit, I'd love to know what sort of, you know, uh, settlement they reached. I don't know if, if we'll ever know, but but I I do think as well that, that he's going to stay with the Prodigy moving forward. Uh, Gannon is, is going to be like like the Alex Rodriguez of disc golf. The first guy to have like multiple 10-year, eight-figure, multi-million-dollar contracts in his career. Uh, and I think if Prodigy wants to wants to keep on growing and and I think overall they have players playing well, but from what I can tell, they're not as respected as a lot of the other manufacturers. If they can keep Gannon uh, and basically ride the momentum that he's carrying them through, uh, they could they could be really good for them too. So anyway, it's all about the relationship. It's all about keeping that relationship. And that's a hard relationship to establish in a courtroom. So I'm glad they dropped the lawsuit. I hope they can make it work with him moving forward. It, it's just it's a tough one all around. Brady, what do you think? What do you, you let's, some let's more keep time? talking about? Let's, let's let's talk a little bit more about this because this PR thing is is a real interesting thing. Because Hunter, Hunter, Robbie, and you all agree that this was a bad PR move by Prodigy. It is, Brody. They manufacturers were dumping Prodigy plastic out their doors. You don't think that's bad PR? Then should, should it have been a bad PR move though? Is my question. I, I think because bad I, PR doesn't mean bad it, move. It, they had to make the move. I believe they had to no, make the move. Is, that's not it, my question. My question is if you remove disc golf and you, and you look at this in another sport. Yeah. Is, is mm -hmm. the, is the sponsor looked at? Yes. As bad. I not, not nearly, not always, but if Nike if sued LeBron, was, if, if, if Nike sued LeBron, People will side with LeBron. A lot of people because they like LeBron the player. Fans, LeBron fans would side with LeBron, and all the non-LeBron fans would look at it and well, say, "Like, yeah, LeBron's trying to get out of his contract. Obviously, Nike's going to sue him." Here's the thing, too. The, the problem is the main issue here is Prodigy didn't have anything in their contract that forced Gannon to do something. Their only thing they could do was sue him. Essentially, if they had something in there that said, "Hey, if you want to leave early, you have to get bought out." Right. Then there would be no lawsuit because if Gannon went to MVP or whatever, Prodigy's is going to be like, all right, you're leaving your contract early. You, you owe us $2.5 million. And that has to be, you have to be bought out. Right. Well, but Gannon, is, Gannon wouldn't have, Gannon wouldn't have cared anyways, because he was arguing breach of contract. So he, the contract would have been null and void if they breached it. What he was arguing is that the contract didn't matter. So I'm out of here. So it wouldn't matter if there was a buyout. Now it might have helped things. Well, can, I, can we also? That's the other thing. Can we also agree that his argument that the breach of contract was ridiculous? Yeah. So that's that's where I, like, didn't, yeah, I, I didn't see anything. You you said that it's a like it's a bad move on like it's not a bad move on the company. They're doing the right thing. We're saying it's bad PR. I also think all of the bad moves slash bad PR could be applied to Gannon as well. That's where I think in the argument of like, but Gannon being a kid, both helps him and hurts him in this scenario in so many ways because it hurts because the fact that they're suing not only their star player but they're suing a child yeah that's it doesn't no good it just doesn't uh, help looks but wise. him being Wait, a right kid helps him because then it's like oh of course he made a rash decision of course he tried to get out of all that he's a kid uh like he's trying to make that okay but at the same i mean again this could be a tarot analogy so please take a lot of points away from me if this is a bad analogy <laughs> Careful um, saying things like that. Um, Daniel Radcliffe signs yeah. on to do seven Harry Potter movies, uh -huh. signs the contract. Yeah. Right. After three that. movies, he's like, you know what? I want to be a Marvel superhero. I'm out. Mm -hmm. And just deuces. <clears throat> what does Warner Brothers do? 
So there's a difference, like the the initial, like if they sue, the initial reaction is probably going to side with the actor once the case gets out. Because this is what happened with the Prodigy thing. When the initial thing happened, people were very anti-Prodigy. The more the facts came out and the case didn't look like it was really on Prodigy as much, that's how it kind of settled. Then people kind of split both ways a little bit. Hunter, what do you what do you have? Yeah, I just I didn't know when I'd be able to fit in because everything's so (laughs) delayed for me. But I think that one of the key factors we're all skipping over here is the the company behind it. Prodigy was in a in an up and coming scenario. It wasn't an Innova or Didcraft where they have a diehard, massive loyal fan base. So I think that's a key thing to where like Prodigy didn't really have a lot of people that were stepping up to their defense to bring the points to light, like Brody was saying. Whereas the player did, um, I think that that's a big thing of like what you what you just mentioned with like Marvel versus Harry Potter, like both sides have diehard loyal fans that are fighting for something bigger, different than the actor. Whereas in this case, a lot different than you know Simon. This happened with Simon and Discmania. There would have been a lot of Discmaniacs siding with Discmania. Um, but I think that when you have a, a smaller, more up and coming company um, that's riding the back of a player and the player first announces they're leaving, there's a lot of excitement they're leaving, and then the lawsuit came out, that was the bad PR. Um, yeah. I mean, there's literally real retailers doing 100% off free Prodigy, like walk in and just take our Prodigy because we're not selling this anymore. Like, yeah. there's no way around it. Also, That's bad PR. Their history also as a company <laughs> doesn't help them in this scenario, and that same argument that Hunter's yeah. making of... They've been tied if up. If it was another stuff, company... Or- yeah, it's I guess, I, it's always a sides thing, right? It's always like there. It's who has the more fans, you know, who's gonna believe who even before the facts get out. It's just tricky. I, I what do you have, Brody? I'm just gonna say I think that's my issue right now is we don't really have that many impartial people. Yeah, right? yeah. It, well, it sure. Seems, it seems like everyone is just going to. It, it doesn't seem like there's that big of a voice of people just saying, you know what? I don't have a horse in the race. I'm just going to look at what's going on right. and then make my decision. It seems yeah. like a lot. It happens too with like players too. We see it all the time with like how players uh, act on the course and stuff. Certain players get a huge pass. Certain players don't get a pass at all. And um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I guess I'm a little naive in the fact that I'm, thinking like i wish there was just more impartial people yeah i mean i would have, in, I would have, in this golf, I would I have loved to see innova go after ricky that would have been yeah i i mean and i will say at this point i think it's great that i'm just happy that the dust is settled ganon is going to be just fine prodigy probably just going to be fine i will be i still i find it a little hard to believe that a company that sued a player is going to retain said player especially when said player is going to have very high offers i would have to think in my mind the resolution if there is a resolution hunter you're right the language doesn't suggest that there was a party or something the like yeah the language didn't suggest that there was some resolution they just used the language so i thought maybe there was a deal struck up i imagine if i were prodigy i would tell ganon you we will drop this suit but we want the right to match any offers you receive. And if we match them, we can retain you. But I don't mm. know if they can match. Like I, I see a company like Discmania. Oh, yeah. And, and Hunter Hunter thinks that Gannon Burr will take a three hundred thousand dollar a year uh yeah, price cut. He should three hundred thousand dollar pay cut points for not, that. Not a three hundred thousand dollar pay cut. He would still mm-hmm. be getting a drastic pay increase over where he's at currently. A pay cut, you have to be getting that and get cut. That's not a pay okay. cut. All right. The you're only right. way that would make sense is if, like, if the million dollars was going to be in California and the, and the seven hundred was going to be in Florida, 
<laughs> Otherwise, it makes no sense. Hey, uh, maybe, I mean, he's hey. in Georgia, and there is a company in California. Something. All right, uh, all, all right. right. A lot, a lot, of, lot to talk about uh, with Gannon there. A lot of good points, and we're we're kind of knotted up here right now. Birdie's at eight, and then Hunter, Tyler, and Robbie are at nine. Going into our last subject, this one I think is super open ended. I uh, I thought of this as I was looking through the schedule for the rest of the year, and I was looking at the silver events. And as most of you know, silver events have really strengthened up as of late. Um, the f- most of the field seems to be, or at least a lot of top players are going to these events. So my question is simply with silver events, consistently drawing strong fields and top players. Is there any point in not running them as full elite events? What, what's the idea behind even doing the silver events at this point in time? Uh, Brody, I believe you're leading us off here. So when I talked to Jeff spring about the difference between the two, cause I've never really actually understood what is the difference between the two. A lot of it just has to do with the infrastructure of the actual event and what it can host and how, how many people can be there and uh, how good the Wi-Fi is. Can they go live? Um, and then I think also the other thing is the silver events is a time for them to have like half the staff there. So it's a way for them to basically have, you know, half the people have off and then the other half will do the next silver event. I think if they did more full events right now, they would have to hire more people, more costs. So that doesn't really make sense. And then also I think right now you're kind of just looking at the silver events early in the season. A lot of the silver events early in the season made sense for players that, you know, maybe that are, cause you're always going to get like the vanner, the van people, you're always going to get them probably just like continuing to play in those events. Cause what else are they going to do? Um, but some of these silver events coming up don't really make that much sense. Like as far as like traveling wise goes, but I think you're going to see smaller fields at those. And then also as um, more and more players are financially more stable, I think you're going to see people like, you know, what Simon does, right? He flies in, plays OTB open. He flies back, going to be there for a week then fly back out or two weeks and then fly back out here for the Portland open. You're going to see more of that happening, picking and choosing events than people just going to every single event. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's cool insight. I guess the, the budget play on their infrastructure makes some sense. Uh, Hunter, what do you think about silver events? We know how you love them. Yeah. Well, I think one thing is we've hyped up silver events quite a bit in the wording of this question. So I think that was a little biased to start, but I think the silver events have always been a way that I think it's a good way to like test new courses, new events, you know, new uh, community support around events. Um, I think that another big thing for silver events is the financial support, not only in a lesser team needed to run it, but also in a lesser added cash needed to run the silver event as well. So when you're in the pro tour shoes and obviously, you know, everyone would want more money in the sport. If you have more full events, that money that is in the sport is going to get spread out even thinner than it already is. So I think that's another reason to have them. Uh, I think fully mentioned um, is we've seen Charlie Eisenhood enter the elite plus an elite event uh, as a commentator, he was tried and proven true in silver events. I think that's a good grounds for this. Now, I think the future of silver events, in my personal opinion, is that is actually the qualifying. I think it necessarily makes sense. Most other tours, you have PGA tour events aren't as well attended. They just aren't as big and prestigious, but they're still a PGA tour event. Um, so I think a silver event in the future just goes to the qualifying board to get you into the pro tour. I don't think it makes sense necessarily to have players playing silver and elite and, you know, you constantly have the thing back and forth. I don't think that makes sense. And I think the pro tour, whether they realize it now or not, will eventually realize that and make the silver events be your qualification process for the tour card. But for now, 
it makes sense. They cost less money to run. You know, it's easier to test things and a good little uh, right. process for events to get to elite pluses or elite events. Bro, did you not like the idea of like a corn fairy tour? Oh, it lost Brody's audio. Oh, we're there back. Oh my back. gosh, the wife is calling. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like I like the golly. I like the idea of having a qualifying tour. Are we close to that at all? By no means are we close to that. Um, but also you can't make every event matter just as much as each event. It, it just doesn't exist. So you have to have some events that you just are like, hey, going in, and this is something that the PGA tour is kind of like figuring out. And so they're actually going to where we're, we're at right now. They used to try to make every event, like the Honda classic is just as important as, as uh, waste management. No, it's not. No one goes to the Honda classic. No one likes that <laughs> event. Um, so Dang. I think this is smart and having like some events are just not That's as big. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Well, let's, let's keep moving along. That's a, That is an interesting point. Tyler, what do you think about the silver events? Well, here's what I was going to say, and Brody kind of kind of hit hit this point as well. But if you make everything, I'm hearing a lot nothing. this podcast so far. But continue. <laughs> I'm not going to make the final, but I have been hearing that a lot. If everything is elite, then nothing is elite. And so, if you eliminate basically kind of the the middle class of of our tournaments, if if you will, uh, then the thing the the tournaments that are elite uh, again. Um, you know, the resources are, are spread thin and, and all of a sudden we're trying to make every weekend top notch and elite. And I just don't think we're, we're to the level where we're, we're going to be doing that. Um, I'm excited to see how these elite plus tournaments play out. You know, I think we have high expectations for those. And so maybe you could see a, a time when you have fewer events and they're all elite and you have some that are elite plus. But um, I think we've already said it today. You know, we, we have improvements we got to make across the board. And so we're not to a place yet where we can say everything is is elite. So there's definitely a place for silver series uh, just to, to give, give players a break as a fan emotionally. If there's an elite <laughs> event every weekend, I can't, I can't handle that. And so, and so for our sake, we need a few weeks where it's a silver series. We're like, if I don't see it all, you know, no big deal. I can gear up for Portland in a few weeks or whatever it is. So I think let silver have its place for now and we'll see what the future holds. That is a good point about the fans. Uh, Robbie silver events, formerly known as the silver series. What do you think? Love them. I think they're fantastic. Uh, the two two keywords that I'll use to try to get my two points to get to this 11 tie. Prestige and YouTube. Uh, so prestige, I think it's already been discussed a little bit. I want to talk like the keeping. It's not about the silver events necessarily. It's about keeping the elites elite. And so when you have players like myself or your local MPO pro, who wants to step up and they're like, I want to know what it takes to compete on the pro tour. We don't need a Brody. We don't need an Ezra. We don't need a Calvin playing with local pros at these elite events. Silver series are a great place for them to get to interact with the pros, to get to try out with the pros. And we don't have to worry about what happens if Bob who does like has never made it shows up on elite event coverage. Uh, we don't have to have that event. Your players who are the tour cards, they get those. Uh, and then that's where YouTube comes into play as well, is more and more players are going to try and make these like the channels. And, you know, I've made stuff like that before of, hey, I'm going to I made a whole video about going to a pro tour event and playing in it. But it was a silver event because I think that's where we need to keep these people locked down, keep them nice and chill. Yeah. 
I, I think those are fair points. I'll enter you into the tie. I actually want to try and break the tie here with Brody. You you hated those points. Oh my gosh. First off, I I, I wonder when uh, Hunter wants the elite events to be their own qualifying tour for the elite plus events. That's what I really can't wait to hear. <laughs> what? Well, if he what wants you... the silver events to turn into a qualifying tour for elite events, well, wouldn't you want the elite events to turn into a qualifying tour for the uh, the elite plus events? Hunter? No, I think the elite plus is the stupidest thing that's ever been put out. If you look at golf... I have to like, agree with that. I have to agree with instance, that. For uh, like, instance, I think that the from what I've seen watching the PGA Tour a lot more this year, is there some events that sure are elite plus. How do you know that's the elite plus? You look at it and there's a $20 million purse. You don't have to have everyone tell you this is a PGA Tour Plus event. You look at it in the fields deep. That's what tells you it's an Elite Plus event. Elite Plus, throw the. I mean, that sucks. I don't understand why they're doing that. That makes no sense. So we don't need qualifying tours. We just cut off the, the Elite Plus event and then have the silver the, events feed into the Elite Series. My uh, my t- my my response to Robbie though is I also don't think silver events are events that like local pros get to come out and see if they have what it takes. I don't. Like that's not the future of what silver events are supposed to be. So I don't know. I yeah. I, I, I think I, it could mean, be. We, we, there there are getting more and more people that are like consistently good at being able to play on the the pro tour. The silver events are going to be for those players that aren't good enough to make it in the elite event field. But they're not like local pros. My would, my I question would, my local question pros would could be, fit there. We look at so Paige wins this past weekend. She wins an elite series event. Here we go. Fantastic. Kristen wasn't there. But Kristen has won silver events with less of a field. So is Paige's win more important because she won an elite event without the full field being there? Or is Kristen like we we look at these silver events and we just diminish their their grandeur over and over again. Whereas if it was, Hey, I'm a top 30 player. I'm a 30th ranked in UDIS world rankings. I'm 40th ranked in the UDIS world rankings. And I'm not consistently making top cards at elite events. The silver events give me a chance to showcase and get the points that I need to stay. They're still in They're still integrated with the elite series events. So they have their importance there, but you also have the opportunity to say, Hey, your top, top pros, you guys don't need to be playing in those events. Get your time off. Get well-rested so you can play better. But you could play, some might say, elite-level golf at the elite events because you're not distracted by the silvers. Brody? Oh, I'll let Hunter go because his hand was raised. <laughs> okay, Hunter. I just want to address what uh, Brody... <laughs> I don't address what Brody had said earlier because what Brody was describing I thought was fascinating. He said, you know, these I, the silver events belong for players who just can't quite compete on the pro tour. You know, they're kind of lower echelon. Almost like maybe they should be trying to qualify so that they can compete on the pro tour. And yes, that is exactly where they belong on the silver, which is the future of qualifying for your cards. Brody and agree. There, also, there are going Rob to be idea works perfect if it's qualifying for for the series event. So people can show up and try to qualify for their tour card using the silver events. I think everyone's in agreement here. They just want to disagree no. with me here. No, first off, we <laughs> never use first off with Robbie's argument. We never use strength of schedule at all. If we really want to see like, Oh, how impressive of a win is this? You should use the strength of the field. We never use that. Not all of lead events are going to be, have the same strength of field. Sometimes people like the West coast elite events don't have Joel Freeman. Don't have Chris Dickerson. Don't have, um, I'm trying to think there's another guy too that's like a top player that's not here, but no one's ever talked, no one's talking about that. 
And also, there's no difference in majors than elite events. The same field is showing up at a major as an elite event. But why of us, Why do we all of a sudden say like, oh my God, it's a major? It's because going into the event, everyone has agreed. Everyone has decided that this event matters more. And yeah. that's what we're doing here. We've all decided that elite events, regardless of whether the field is better or not, whether, whether Chris and Tatar is at the event or not, we have decided that an elite event matters more than a silver event regardless of the field. And we've done the same thing with majors. Is it the right thing? I don't know. I mean, I that's I'm, I'm still kind of up in the air with some of these majors because I'm like, they don't feel any different than elite events, but we've all decided that they matter more. And I think that going into it and winning something that we've all decided matters more, I think is harder, more impressive than going into a tournament that we've all decided isn't mattering as much. And Hunter, sorry, my point is to simply like, we're getting to the point, we're seeing it now. Look what the final card was this past week. What? If I would have told you two years ago the final card was going to be those four p- players this year, you would have slapped me across my face and said I was crazy, <laughs> right? No chance you would have ever called the final card this past week. So my point is we're getting to the point. There are, and again, people hate my, my golf analogies. There are hundreds of players right now that have this skill level to play on the PGA Tour but there aren't that many tour card holders. Like just because you have the skill level, you still like you, your point, you still have to qualify. So what I'm trying to say is there are going to get to a point of where let's say there's 80 tour card holders right now. Two years ago, I wouldn't say there was a hundred people that could play with those 80. Right. But now that number might be 120 that could play with those 80. Fair. And so my point is eventually people that are good enough are just going to get pushed down. And I think those people are going to be playing in the silver events because those are the ones where they can get into the field. You know, you're going to have 120, hear this out. You're going to have 120 tour cards, but only 80 are going to get into elite events, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're 81, if you're 81, Mm -hmm. you technically are eligible to get into the tour event because you have a tour card, but you need people to drop out for you to get in. Okay. Versus a local pro doesn't even have the ability, even if 40 people drop out, the local pro cannot get into that event. Do you see, do you see my point, I guess? And what I'm saying on the, yeah, you're saying, you're saying it's like a little bit still a step above. You're like, Correct. It, it's yes. not, you, I see what you're saying. You can't yeah. just, you can't just roll out of bed and show up to a silver event and play. I, I don't think that's what it's going to be in a couple of years. You're still going to have to have some status to get sure. into a silver event. Fair points. Okay. All right. Hunter, keep just one last point from Hunter. I was just, I, it sounded final. a lot like Brody was describing. Sounded a lot like Brody was describing a qualifying <laughs> process with the silver events to me. I don't I, know. Maybe I'm just. They've already qualified. They have already qualified. But then they got to do well in the silver one to get into the elite ones easier, right? To increase their status. It's all about status, baby. There you go. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I'm honestly. I usually we do elimination at this point. Everybody's tied at 11 points, no but Bring but everybody's all. done a really uh, good job so far. So we're <laughs> just gonna have all four of you are gonna go to the rapid fire round. We're just gonna roll. Let's do it. Um, so we're gonna yeah. Do we have a timer. We haven't like followed the timer at all this this show. Do we have a timer for the for the rapid fire round? Uh, for rapid fire, we're gonna try and keep, we're definitely gonna try and be snappy here. I will penalize if you go over. Okay. We'll say I'm 45 be seconds with you. After after the last several weeks, I just stopped keeping my own timer because I was like, this must not matter anymore. Uh, it matters in my heart. <laughs> 
but I, you know, I don't want to interrupt the flow of conversation. People go in like two plus minutes when I'm trying to hold mine to a minute. So I was like, screw you the in time. the show I'm all the time. time. I'm going to tell you right now, if you go over 45 seconds on this rapid fire round, you are going to start losing points. I do like Hunter having no crowns do that. Robbie, makes me feel better. Can, uh, can we also say that if people talk during a rapid fire piece, that is also points off. Correct. Mm -hmm. Bobby, just say the name, brother. <laughs> say, say the bro, name. Buddy, All I'm right. Not call, on to the rapid fire this week, but I'm, I'm saying last, what, last time things, I Alice. appeared, I had three people interrupt me, and there were three guests. So. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna, to, with four people, uh, respectful addition. Put your hand down, Hunter. Four well, I was just going to say, to be fair, if I interrupt <laughs> someone, it's because I'm about 10 seconds behind. I don't know if you're talking That's or a not. good point. That's a good point. We'll just listen for me to give you the cue. We're going 45 seconds, seconds maximum time. We're going to start off uh, with a little overreaction or underreaction. Um, so you, pretty simple. I think you can understand that. Uh, the first prompt is overreaction or underreaction. Paige Pierce is back. Let's start with Tyler. I'm gonna go slight overreaction. I think I think we still need a little more, a little more. Um, we need to see a little more before we can say that she's had two great wins. She looked elite this past weekend, uh, but I think based on the injury she had and uh, just how the last couple of years have been, uh, we need to see if she can keep the high level play going. Uh, I will say I am cheering for her to be back. I want her to be back because I want to go into this summer seeing her and Kristen at the top of their game, just battling week in and week out. So I'm not ready to say it yet, but she's getting close. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that sounds good to me. Um, inside of your 45 second threshold. Excellently. Uh, like you. a true professional Robbie overreaction or underreaction. Paige Pierce is back. Me. Overreaction. No, uh, I definitely don't think that she is necessarily back. I think that uh, she, I did appreciate that she was fired up. I think a comment she made in her press conference of there is no one who cares more than me right now, a bit uh, hyperbolic. Uh, don't really love that out of her, but Hey, she showed up. She fought like a boss today. And uh, that is fantastic. I would love to see her consistently. That has been Paige's thing is that she plays she has always been consistently good, and I'd love to see if that consistency sticks around. Glad to see she's got that win under her belt. She has two this year, so let's keep it going. Let's keep those vibes. Yeah, I, I think consistency is the question. Uh, Brody, overreaction or reaction? Uh, we got overreaction in the sense that um, we're looking at actually her play, um, but I am happy to say like she looks healthy, and I think I don't know what her health was prior to that. That's still like one of those things we don't ever really know when someone how hurt they are, what's causing problems. But going off of what she said, it seemed like that was causing a lot of issues, but it is an overreaction in the sense that like this course is like the Paige Pierce course. This, I think to me, we would have seen a lot. It would have to told us a lot more of the story if she hadn't have won this week than her winning. Um, with that being said though, I don't think her like skill level has drastically dropped. I think she still can perform at a high skill level. The issue now is when she doesn't perform at her best, so many other people in the field have gotten better to where now she's just dropping down leaderboard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that uh, the field parody is a big part of things. Uh, certainly. Uh, what is the page Pierce course, by the way, not having to hit gaps with no OB. Okay. Gaps with o hitting gaps with OB. I don't think is. Ideal. That's, what I was, that's what I was curious about. All right, Hunter overreaction or underreaction go. I think that is, 
I think it's technically an overreaction. Mainly, I think that her play, it's safe to say Paige Pierce is back. I think it's probably closer to just a true reaction. But the reason I think it's an overreaction is simply because Kristen Tatar wasn't there this week. Um, and I think this, as much as it was a Paige Pierce course, I think it was also a Kristen Tatar course. And I would have loved to have seen what that would have done um, down the stretch. But I think, as most people have mentioned, um, her health her being back in good health and throwing pain-free, we don't know how much of a factor that truly was previously. And so I think that a few weeks from now is probably more like, okay, yes, Pierce is officially back. So for now, I think it's probably a true reaction, but I'll lean towards overreaction. Yeah, I, I will say that I do think the Paige Pierce thing, it, you know, Paige Pierce back, um, it's just tricky because we don't really know what back even looks like for Paige Pierce at this stage in the field with FPO. Um, all right, we're going to go into another overreaction or underreaction. I think this one's a little tougher. Um, I, I was a big fan of Swenson Park, so that's kind of why I wrote this one up. But overreaction, underreaction, uh, Swenson Park is the model for future course design. Um, and I think I'll add to that, uh, you know, on the pro tour, you know, just to make sure everybody's getting that clear. We're not talking about your local park. Um, so overreaction or underreaction, uh, let's go ahead and start with Robbie. Uh, we're going to go underreaction. Uh, I think it plays beautifully. It looks aesthetically pleasing. Um, great opportunities for fan integration to come and spectate, to be a part of it. Uh, you also can carve the course up to kind of look how you want it to lots of natural OB opportunities. So as much as people like hate gimmicky OB natural OB is suddenly like people are a big fan of it. So the fact that you can add more OB in the future without sort of destroying the design, if there was one thing that like it naturally lacks, I think elevation would love to see more elevation change on the course, but obviously that's a natural implement. So can't have that. So I think it is definitely under reaction. Mm, yeah, good point. Good point on the elevation. That is, I guess, one thing it might be missing a little bit. Uh, Bray, what do you think? You were there. Yeah, you definitely can't make artificial hills. That is for <laughs> sure, Robbie. Um, no, I think I think this is this is a, this is an overreaction because I think just if you would have worded it as future course design on open courses, I would have said I would have agreed with you. Um, but being the future course design. Um, I, I think woods golf is still a huge element of disc golf. And so I could see how some people being like, I don't want to see this course every single week. It is though, pushing the limits. There are certain holes, which I don't know if you guys talked about that much on grip locked. I don't think you did. Cause I just listened to it yesterday, but there are certain holes that they have slowly added OB had added different things and elements to it to start making score separation actually happen to where players have to have course management. I think that's the big thing here is this course required on most holes, not all made you, made you have to make decisions. That's what I love playing disc golf. Yeah. Decision-making disc golf. Um, we need more of it for sure. Uh, Hunter overreaction or underreaction. Uh, I'm gonna go with underreaction. Um, I think Brody made a good in that, you know, this is the open, Weird, and, I've been but hearing I don't think this necessarily takes woods golf out of play because I think that what this park has done very well is it has very much of a uh, like spectator forward mindset being very easy to watch while still pushing players and making them think each and every shot. So what it was able to provide a lot of wooded golf aspects on an open golf course. There was a lot of shots that required technical distance control, a lot of shots that required very specific things. And I think that is kind of where the future disc golf should head because it allows you to have unlimited spectators almost but it pushes the game in a way that right now we've only seen in the woods. And I think that's kind of the future of disc golf. So I'm going to go under reaction. 
Mm, yeah, good points for sure. Uh, Tyler, wrap it up for us. I'm going to go overreaction, and this is kind of a, a, a funny thing for me to think about as someone who's not played nearly as many courses as you guys have and as the other people that talk about course design. I hear some people say, you know, I want a course that gives me options and I can choose what line I want to take based on my game or how I'm feeling. I've heard other pros say they want a course where there's a really clear line you have to take, and the question is whether you can hit it or not. And so I don't know that even collectively we know what what the the model is of a great course. Um, for me as a fan, I like to see courses that are unique, courses that are different each week that have different different elements to it. What I really loved about this weekend and this course was the fact uh, that we didn't know what the hot round was going to be on a given day. I mean, Emerson shooting a four under the first day uh, and then I think 12, 12 the second day to get on the lead card and then took it down. Uh, for me, I love to see a player who can maybe not be on their game the first day and still climb back in Oh no. Uh, and win. So for me, um, overreaction ran out of time, ran out of time, but I, you made really the best point in the sense that, um, Emerson being able to go like four, seven or four, 12, seven, I think is what he did under par. Like you can come out slow and it's not like, Oh, my tournament's over. Like you were, there was seeing scoring separation was about the most refreshing thing ever. Um, I feel like we haven't seen it in a, in a little bit and I just enjoyed going into the final stretch of holes being like, Hey, maybe somebody will mess up and take a big number. Like that was a possibility. Um, all right, we're going to get into the last subject. Uh, Robbie has a one point lead right now. Let's see if you can hold on to it too, Tyler. I'm sorry. Um, I was rolling over from my first round because I only used 35 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Minutes don't roll over, man. This is like old school. Uh, all right. Last question is just simply this biggest winner of the OTB open. Just in general, who's the biggest winner? Is it a person place? The thing, uh, Brody, lead off for us. I'll first say if every single time someone on this podcast today has said, Hey Brody, good point. I actually got a point for that. I'd be winning right now. You just wasted 10 um, seconds. Big, I'll, I'll take my time for that. I don't care. Biggest winner of the OTB open Nate Sexton making the cut line on the cash line, continuing his streak. He is now the part 11 holes in a row, part 11 holes in a row to make the cash line. This guy knows exactly what he needs to do <laughs> and he is paying attention to it on a tee. That's that's fantastic. That I didn't even think about that one. That's that was a great pick. Uh Hunter, what do you got? Weird. I've been hearing I'm actually that a going lot. with low star discs, <laughs> the manufacturer. Because I think they had been struggling a little bit so far this season. Uh I that you know they hadn't had the best performance. They'd picked up some very big players. Um, and so to them to finally have a title to their name as a manufacturer, I can't see my stopwatch emails rolling in. So we're just going to have to hope that I'm, I'm flying <laughs> fine. Um, but for them to actually have a title to their name as a manufacturer, I think is a big deal. I think it's a big validating moment for them. And obviously Emerson Keith was a big deal for him as well. But I think Lone Star Disc walks away. The biggest winner this week, finally having their plastic Base. validated on tour. Base. What? I think I just learned that word. Did I not use it the right way? What are you talking about? 42. 42 <laughs> saying, I not I, the I, right I was, way. Are you saying like, like that's a base. fact? <laughs> like what he no. said is based? He's saying it's simple. Like it was a simple No, take. not based. Ba- I think it's base. Isn't that what people say when like someone says like a... Oh, I, I don't know. I got to look at my pop know. culture. Hold on. Okay. Um, Tyler, who is uh. your big winner? <laughs> uh, I think the winner of the weekend was the kids. 
the kids. The top six MPO finishers were all 26 years or younger this weekend, which we've talked a lot about, the, the young generation just playing at elite level. You had Gannon and Cole, both teenagers in the top six. Uh, Emerson is 26 years old, but he's still, I think, young according to the field. Super excited to see him win. I also, I also saw this week that he's played more tournaments than anybody else the past few years. He's like either one or two as far as tournaments played. And the fact that he finally took down um, an elite tournament was huge. So super excited for him. I don't know how many more we'll see, but I'm a fan of his. So I yeah. hope he keeps it up. Good pick. And what a lot of people don't know about Emerson is he, uh, the way he broke that record or did whatever it was by playing flex starts. And I forget what the number is. But he played an astronomical amount of events in one season. It was yeah, because it, it was like it seemed impossible, but it's because he was playing flex starts like all the time. Uh, all right, Robbie, finish it out for us. Who's your big winner? I'm gonna get close on this one, guys, okay. because I'm gonna be honest with you. This could just take the winning position that I'm in and jeopardize it all. But we got to talk about the biggest winner for all of you who listen to Foundation Podcasts, all of you who are part of the Foundation Nation. The biggest winner of this weekend was Trevor Staub, who was worried and he was sweating bullets when Cole Radallin storming at the very end there. And what happens? Cole falls apart in the last day. The Stop. bet is still alive. We don't have Chick-fil-A bought just yet, but man, we still get that storyline that is carrying through every single tournament. Yes. Chick-fil-A is yes. still alive, baby. And yes. Thank you so much. That That is, I was the really big winner. I avoided Cole Radallin. I picked Paige Pierce to win at, even while being ridiculed. And my dark horse pick almost one pandering. That, that was that was the uh, probably that's the right that's the right terminology pandering base i was off hunter i apologize <laughs> i did not use that correctly yeah i have I no idea what you're talking anyone. about um no yeah, that is I, a tiktok thing i just did not use it correctly at all. okay yeah. stay away from tiktok once you get above Robbie, the age that of is 35 pandering. that is pandering at its finest Sometimes yes. pandering works on these shows, you know. It didn't uh, work. It didn't work for him last time he was on the show. So. I played against the host last I time. Tried and I tried pandering. Uh, I tried pandering. I literally stole Trevor's point from Griplock as for my biggest winner. And yeah, it didn't, just didn't, didn't shock work. me as much. I'd heard it somewhere before. Yeah, you're delayed too. So yeah, you're also delayed. Brody's point was negatively pandering. To be fair, the second point was actually him. really good, and also I liked that everybody had really good points for that last question. That was fantastic. But uh, I Robbie, my foundation jacket, but. It didn't help me at all. You guys are gonna have to try harder and harder every week. Hey, anyways, another great show. Robbie is our victor today. Robbie, do you have anything to say? Yeah. So uh, you know, I will say I I literally found out that I was gonna be on this podcast about 15 minutes before uh true. we started recording. So everything that we said today was completely fired from the hip. So trying to make the dark horse proud and not coming in prepared just arguing what I believe in and apparently what I believe in completely disagrees with Brody unless I'm quoting him. So, uh, there we go. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just how it is. Um, anyways, hopefully you enjoyed this episode of debate night. We'll be back next week with another episode. We'll see you then.